Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the JMO Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Michaels, and our guest this week, we've got Jeff Ensminger from Bismarck, North Dakota, back on the show. It's been a couple years since we've had our good buddy Jeff on the show. Jeff's home body of water right out his back door. No surprises, Lake Sakakawea. We're going to talk a bunch about Lake Sakakawea and just get, you know, just get really caught up with Jeff and just how things are going for him. Uh, you know, with his uh, his guiding, as well as uh, some of his tournament angling and just some of his personal fishing, and there's just a lot to take away. Having a, a you know just a, a conversation, just a fishy conversation with a guy like Jeff, and, and we talk a lot about Skakawea, his home body of water. But you know, we, I spend a lot of time in this conversation as well, trying to focus on you know with Jeff, or, you know, with guys like Jeff, and I don't think there's a ton of them out there. But Jeff, you know, he's a guide on Lake Sakakawea, but he's also a traveling tournament angler. He fishes the Casino Cup walleye circuit, uh, very, very competitive uh, tournament trail here in the Dakotas. And Jeff's been doing this a long time, very competitive individual. And that's really not that easy. I, I truly believe that's a very, very small percentage of individuals that try to do it are, are as successful as Jeff uh, on the tournament side as well as on the guiding side. They're two totally different things, and that, that's one thing that I try to get Jeff to, to share stories of and, and try to talk about as much as possible because I think there's a lot to learn for the average everyday angler that's maybe never going to fish a tournament or just doesn't have doesn't have it in them uh, or just maybe not interested in fishing a tournament. But there's so much to take away from people that fish tournaments. And when you got a guy like Jeff that understands what it takes to be a successful guide where you're just giving your clients a great experience and lots of fish catches uh, or you know or just figuring out what their needs are and providing that you know day in and day out but then flipping that switch and breaking down water completely differently uh, competitively you know preparing for a tournament and uh, and and looking to win that tournament looking to be seriously competitive in that tournament and when we talk about that and we talk about what it takes to be successful on both sides and what it takes to break down water in both scenarios and what you're looking for I think that that really paints a picture of uh, you know the the fishing experience that we're all kind of having on our own body of water it might answer some questions like are we all just going out looking for the type of seasonal pattern that's going to get us the most bites um but we're, we're wondering where the big fish are or we're wondering why we're not getting bit by big fish uh, when you got to realize that in a lot of cases, tournament-grade fish or just bigger fish, you know, the bigger-than-average fish on any body of water are going to a lot of times be doing something a little bit more specific than that. It's probably specifically a little different. And to be successful hunting down big fish, we got to think differently, and that's what these tournament guys do, and that's what I take away from it. Man, I do not have experience fishing tournaments, but I think that there's a lot to learn from fishing tournaments or tournament anglers or just fishing a day of fishing where you're fishing like you're fishing a tournament or just trying to put it to yourself to sort of upgrade your skills and just sort of upgrade, uh, you know, what you're doing, whether it's on your home body of water. I think it's especially fun to do it on your home body of water. I know it is for me, uh, you know, on my home body's water that I've fished many, many times. You know, I'm going out there and I'm hoping to find something new, something that I've just didn't catch before, something uh, that I can learn a little bit more about my home body of water and just the reward 
of going out and hunting down bigger bites uh, on a place where I just, you know, just wasn't thinking that before. I was just chasing other stuff. Um, and that's what I take away from conversations like this so much. Definitely these conversations about how to find big fish versus how to find the most fish and the stories and the experience to go along with it. So that's what I appreciate about Jeff Ensminger. Anyways, long intro here, but a very enjoyable conversation uh, with a good friend of the JMO crew, Jeff Ensminger. Super, super nice guy. Super smart angler. A lot to take away in this JMO podcast. Let's get to it. This episode of the JMO podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish Department. In the 2023 fishing season, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process is simple. You're going to catch a variety of fish, take pictures of them, submit those pictures. If you do it all over the course of the season, you're going to win some cool prizes. For full challenge details, head to the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, if you've got any questions about lodging, or fishing information, or a guide service. Look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. I think it's been a couple of years since I've had you on. It, well, maybe it was last year, the year before. I guess I kind of forget. But two years ago, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it doesn't mean we lose touch. We're always paying attention to what you got going on. Um, I know you got a couple of stories to tell. Let's get caught up a little bit. I know you got a big fish story I want to hear about, and uh, just some of the things that you've been up to. You know, if we can get through some of that stuff in a few minutes, I've got a whole bunch of more questions. Uh, to ask you about some other stuff, but let's get caught up with you a little bit. Let's hit some cliff notes of what's what you've been up to the last couple of years. Well, I've been kind of doing the same thing, Taylor, guiding, fishing tournaments. Um, I probably do about six, eight a year, um, uh, fishing tournaments, of guiding, and then uh, try to work a little bit on the side. Yeah, man. And you fish the, uh, uh, what what is it specifically called? It's the, the, the Casino, the casino Cup circuit. Walleye Circuit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. So, yeah, it kind of gives me a chance to hit other bodies of water. I, I fish Sakakawea mostly, you know, Missouri River in the spring and in the late fall. And then that, you know, it kind of opened the door to get me to Devil's Lake. It pushed me out and I'm beating my head against the wall, you know, the first couple days I'm there and then you grow to love it. You know, Mobridge would be the same same deal you know and and kind of started out with the Ames series you know making me go to different bodies of water and Wisconsin and Minnesota and 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 you know boy you, you just end up learning a lot about fishing in yeah. general when you hit these other bodies of water you know oh, even though yeah. I love Sakakawea the most you know oh yeah 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 for sure I can't uh I can't wait to kind of pick your brain even more you know last time we had you on I think we kind of 
you know, we got to know you a little bit. We kind of, we talked about a few things, um, you know, talking about, you know, some bigger fish patterns on Sakakawea, but mm-hmm. you know, things change all the time. Like, they, you right. know, on these reservoirs, like I, man, I mean, I spend right. a little bit of time up there on the lake, but, um, I love these conversations because I always take something away from you guys that have been fishing, you know, these reservoirs like Sakakawea, we're going to talk about it. I got questions like, you know, when the conditions change and, and what you got to do to consistently stay on big fish. Cause it's, it's, it's pretty rare that the exact same recipe, you know, or maybe more specifically like the exact same waypoints are ever going to produce the exact right. same fishing uh, experience or memory as we would call them. And so, you know, you guys just have such a, you know, some of you guys have such a, a, a natural way of, you know, through experience, usually, you know, trial and error, whatever right. it is. But over the years, you know, when, when you guys adapt and you've seen all these conditions and you see how these seasons roll, just to kind of build this up a little bit, you know, on Sakakawea specifically, what is kind of like, what are the seasons kind of roll through for you? How, what, what are the big takeaways, the big things that you're looking at as the seasons roll on and things kind of change? Like how, how do you anticipate the next season? So usually I start Taylor in May. I'll, I'll get up there around after the big muddy in the river. I'll get up there around May and it's a, uh, I pretty much do the east end so that I, I think the best areas in May are like east end of Sakakawea. Like when I say that, I mean like Garrison um, all the way to like Douglas Bay in Douglas Bay. And then there's a bite always up in like the river in Newtown area up to, you know, White Earth Lund's Landing and stuff. And that, that somewhat gets short-lived. Um, that's like, you know, that's throughout May until – until you know the water starts coming from uh from from the west you know like port peck and stuff and the yellowstone starts running hard and then that kind of you know that peters out because the water gets dirty you know up there in in, uh probably like the first part of june like well today's like june 17th so basically like right now you know the river up there is a little dirty you can get away from it, you know, going deep into Skunk Bay and, and stuff like that. But the bite was really good in May up there, um, especially for numbers. Um, you know, a lot of 20, 21 inch fish. And to where the, on the east end, you don't, I don't think you get as many bites in like May, but, but the fish you catch are nice, a little bit, you know, average nicer. You know, you'll get your, you know, a 22, 24 inch average but less bites. So kind of depending on what you want. So that's what I kind of do. And, and all of that in, in May, there would be like pitching, jigging a minnow. That, that's just the all time classic presentation on Skakawea and Missouri river. I mean, sometimes plastics, but I think I, I'd have a hard time believing that anything other than a jigging minnow is going to produce each and every day. So, you know, then I'll, so that's pretty much my May is, is a, uh, pitching jigs and minnows in east end of Sakakawea. And then uh, once June rolls around, about about like June 15th, and then I'll start seeing the fish in that 8 to 10 foot of water and that right away. It was actually this weekend we start pulling uh, rig crawler rigs. You know, once I see the fish getting that 8 to 12, 10 foot, pretty much a key in my head to start pulling crawler rigs instead of pitching, so... And uh, 2023 Taylor is 
by far the best year I've ever seen on Sakakalia. Um, I, I, you know, the numbers are just staggering um, anywhere. I mean, really, uh, if you watch the watch the tournaments and stuff, it's everybody's getting a limit pretty much from the east end all the way up to Van Hook Arm, basically. You know, so um, yeah. So June, about mid June, I'll start doing like I'll still stay on this. I'm pretty much based out of the east end of Sakakawi, and so yeah, you know, I'll fish. Not that that's the best area in June, but but um, that's where I'll be. And then, uh, you know, you know, it starts getting to be a crawler bite in that 12 to 15 foot later in June. And uh, basically pulling like slow death rigs and uh, that sort of thing. But Van Hook is on fire right now, too. So, you know, all the way up to Van Hook. And once the water clears up here probably end of June, then the river up there, like um, Newtown, Four Bears, uh, that area, that gets really probably the most consistent area of the lake if you were um, just after fish up to, you know, a lot of them are in the 18 to 22 inch range up there. So that that would be the place you'd want to be in in uh, late June and or mid-July even. So that's kind of where I start going in, in the mid-June and July. Or and uh, even all the way to the end of July, to be honest. And then, uh, but, you know, Van Hook is definitely the king of Sakakawea. There, there's just no beating it, Taylor. I mean, day in and day out, if, if, if you wanted to have a tournament or whatever and see where the weights come from, it's going to be Van Hook. There's, you just can't compete with it. I think in 20-some years of fishing Sakakawea, I've maybe seen like one year where like the east end or even midsection, when I say midsection, I mean like the Beulah Hazen area has better been better than Van Hook. And I don't know what happened that year if there was just so many schmelt in the Beulah Hazen area, but that was about four years ago. But yeah, I, I just, Van Hook's the king of Sakakawea and I, and talking to old timers or people that have fished longer than I have, it's always has been the king of Sakakawea. So, I mean, that, that's definitely the place to be. And that, that's usually like a crawler bite, you know, J- July and August, you know, of course, Crick Chubbs, if, if you, you're just after big fish, you know, that, that it's hard to beat a Crick Chubb right now. So that's kind of my, oh, and then, you know, I jump into September and pretty much all of that Taylor's up at Van Hook um, and it may be up into the river a little bit, um, like by four bear, uh, four bears and up to four bears and, and that like September, maybe like mid August through September, that's pretty much jig and wrap last September. For some reason, that was just an absolute on fire up there at Van Hook for with jig and wraps and you I couldn't catch them with anything else I mean like once in a while you'd catch one on a crick chub and then and then um and then it was always it was always jig wraps you just couldn't beat them and then September was even better for me last year than October was and October is usually hard to beat but um yeah September was really good right before the turnover of the lake it was just on fire we'd have 30 fish days up there and, and they were all nice fish so 
then rolling into October and, and November, it was pretty much, it was pretty much jigging wraps. And that would, I would go up to maybe like pouch point area. And that would be my place to be would be pouch point, um, shell village, all that, all that good stuff that I know you fish Taylor before. Yeah. 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 Great area. Yeah, just lots of, of lots of fishy stuff there. I mean, it, you know, when it, you say like Pouch Point, it sounds like that's just like one spot, but I mean, those are huge areas that offer a lot. Oh, you got a, yeah. there's a lot to look at when you go there. Yeah, and that's what I tell people too. You know, in in Douglas, you know, Douglas Bay, it's basically a lake in itself. You know, that thing is huge. It, it's the biggest bay on Sakakawea, and <laughs> it's it's like a lake. You know, there's when you say you're in Douglas, that doesn't mean anything because it's a yeah. You, you got, you got a lot of work to do. Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. But you know, like one thing that you said, I didn't even think of this beforehand. I should have, but um, you know, you're you're so spot on with just how well Sakakawea is fishing right now, and just you know, like a, a little over a week ago, the Van Hook Classic, the, you know, the the longtime tournament out of Van Hook that uh, is usually like in early June. I think it was like the 8th and 9th. It's a two-day tournament. So, you know, you you fished a lot of tournaments in your lifetime. You know, a 20-pound bag on a lot in a lot of places on a lot of tournaments is kind of a it's kind of a benchmark. It is. You know, is. you know, I, I mean, I haven't fished a whole lot of tournaments, but you know, just for anybody, you know, to reference like a five fish a five yeah. fish, you know, four pound average, 20 pounds a day. Like, you know, not everybody goes out and catches five, four pound walleyes in a day. No. If you would have averaged 20 pounds a day exactly in that tournament. Yeah. Uh, that would have gotten you 76th place. Wow. 76th a- place. And I mean, all those weights are razor thin. So even if you knock that down like a half pound, you know, like a, you know, to 39 pounds. So like a 19 and a half, you know, pound average um, for a two day tournament that, you know, that brings you right back down to like 83rd, 85th place. That, that is just mind boggling. But, you know, you know, as, as you go through your sort of your seasonal pattern on Sakakawea, which I appreciate so much. Uh, mm-hmm. we need this now's the time for us to slide in this big fish story what tell me the backstory in this this uh, giant walleye you caught last year give me a little bit of the story what time of year was it what was some of the things you were thinking about that morning before you went out and just kind of walk me through you know now here we are now in hindsight walk me through sort of the story and just sort of how that developed into something Okay, yeah. So basically, your average day, um, a buddy of mine asked if I wanted to go up and fish with him. So we took my boat up and we put in a deep water, and uh, and that was kind of the time I was telling you how September was really good, and then October was okay. I mean, it was not quite as good as September. Then we rolled in. It was like November, I don't know, seventh or eighth or something. It was before deer season because he he's a deer hunter. But anyway, it was around November first, third, whatever. And then we put in a deep water, and we've been we kind of had our milk run. Then you know it was like hit Shell Village. There's like a pocket in there we always hit, and then we didn't catch anything there. And then we rolled up to like across from Skunk Bay on some rock rock piles, and uh, I think Brian caught a 26 incher. So that was a nice fish. And in this whole time, 
you know, the, you know, the, the thing was that you could go out to like 40 foot and catch uh, eaters, but you had to keep them, you know, basically cause they were pretty, pretty um, rough shape. Maybe when you got them in, even if you reeled them in slow, it was, you just wanted to keep them Taylor, you know, whatever. And yeah. I, I don't that's know. pretty deep we, water to be fishing in. Yeah. We did. We just weren't in the, uh, keeping fish mode. So we kind of stuck around that 18 to 30 foot, you know, stayed in that area. And, and yeah, we were getting bites, but, and there were big bites, but we weren't getting like the numbers we had been getting if you wanted to catch, catch some fish out in 40 foot. Anyway, so we rolled all the way down to like uh bear's den and there was some crazy marks down there. And we caught maybe like three or four, but a lot of like smallmouth bass. So I was kind of like wondering if, what the heck? And then uh, we came back to Skunk and uh, right across from Skunk. And I think I caught a pike right away, a small pike. And then, you know, these jigging wraps, they really don't give them away. So you kind of net every pike you have. Oh, yeah. Like eight, ten bucks, you know. And uh, I had an acne, acne, one of the acne jigging wraps on, and uh, I set the hook, and it felt big. And Brian's like, "Is it another pike?" I'm like, "Yeah, probably, but just come up and net it, so I don't lose my jigging wrap." And I wish maybe we could have had a camera on our face when that come up because I was, I honestly thought it was like a 24 to 26 inch walleye. It didn't fight that much, you know, or wasn't like, wasn't like a you know, a fight of my life or anything. And that thing came up and Brian scooped it up. And I was like, wow, holy smokes, that's big. I mean, it was just like round. And I was thinking, you know, in my head, like a 30 incher, which is pretty rare on Sakakawea Taylor. I mean, I've caught one other 30 incher in my, in 20 some years of fishing Sakakawea. So I was pretty stoked about getting a 30 incher. And when I put it on the ruler and it was, uh, well, my ruler goes to 33, and it was over that. It was Jeepers. 34 and a half inches. Jeepers. I was like, oh, my God, we got something here. Yeah. And then, you know, I have this scale in my boat that's been bouncing around in the cubby hole probably for 15 years, and I don't even know how the battery was charged in it, but if the battery worked, it turned on, and it, we weighed it, and it was like 16.7, 16.8 it would bounce to, and we're like, holy cow. So, yeah, I had to Google or Brian Googled um, state record. It was 16.6. And I was like, oh, God, now what do we do? So I'm like, oh, let's just fish. You know, we put it, I was going to mount it anyway because I, oh, God, I don't know that I'll ever catch one that big. Yeah, again. that's I, like one I, in I 10 it. lifetimes for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So Brian's, I said, like, let's just put it in the live well and then uh, we fish for a while. And I don't even think we, fish for two minutes and we both just couldn't take it you know we're like i can't concentrate you know i don't i can't either and so you know we took some videos and pictures and in the you know the one video after we put it on the scale out you know i mean i'll never show that to anybody again it was like two little kids you know two little girls screaming you know oh yeah so that got deleted but um anyways yeah <laughs> Anyway, we kind of just like flew to Garrison and waited there and we weren't sure, you know, it's so close. And uh, the guy's like, I don't know, we could get a game warden, you know, the guy at the gas station. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I was like, well, you know, I grew up with Jeb Williams. So I called Jeb 
the head of game and fish in North Dakota. He's like, yeah, I'll bring it to, well, bring it to Bismarck and whatever. And we got it to a scale. And it was like 16.5, 16.4, which it didn't matter to me. You know, I was, uh, to be honest, I really didn't care if it, you know, whatever state record or not. It wasn't that big a deal. It was just a fish of a lifetime. So. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country, especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, If you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brenton Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brenton Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's oahiwalleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast. Every opportunity that we have to go out on the water fishing is a chance to make a memory. It's a chance to learn and grow as an angler. Ultimately, these are our fishing adventures. Now, if you want to take your fishing adventures to the next level, in 2023, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge. Now, the process to complete this challenge is simple. You catch a bluegill, a walleye, a bass, and a trout. Take pictures of each of those species and submit the entry to the North Dakota Game and Fish website. The link is in the description. Anglers that complete the challenge will receive a decal that they can proudly display, which obviously would look excellent on a cooler or a tackle box or a water bottle, anywhere that people can see it and you can brag about it. For full challenge details, again, visit the link that is in the description of this podcast. That's gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool story. I think everybody, I think everybody would would be all about you know that exact same thing. I know I would. I mean, it's like yeah, if you, especially if you had you had waited in the boat that have validated you know what you would have otherwise assumed, and um, and uh, yeah, man. I mean, you earned it. You fish a lot. You, this is your home body of water. I mean. You know, everybody would have been, you know, rooting for you. And it's still just a super awesome story, man. That's like, you know, a couple ounces off the state record. But really, like, you know, looking back on that on last fall and that that season, um, you know, as that was as that, uh, you know, fishing story, you know, like some of the things that, uh, you know, that I'd be interested in is, you know, a, a day of fishing for you like that, you know, where you were bouncing around from spot to spot. Do you feel like. You know, talk to me a little bit about that and the conditions out on Sakakawea. You know, when you go into an area like that and you're fishing that time of year, like, you know, are you looking for other recipes of success? Like, are you looking for specific marks, fish on the graph? Or are you more so just looking for everything else to be involved? Like, is it, you know, big boulders? Is the structure kind of specific? Are you looking for a certain amount of bait in proximity? Like, as you move spot to spot and each spot sets up a little differently, like, how do you sort of gauge the potential, uh, you know, and and start figuring out how much time you're going to give a spot and how you're going to fish it? Well, the number one thing that I look at is wind. I mean, 
even if it's not, if that day was dead calm, but for some reason it's already calculated in my head. I must remember like what was the wind yesterday. I, I always think in my head, like what was yesterday's wind and on Sakaka we have wind is by far the most influence to any fishing spot. Um, there is, I mean, it's just, it dominates the fish patterns for me anyway. Um, so number one on Skakawi is wind. And number two, depending on what I'm doing, um, say I'm in, say it's May and I'm pitching jigs. What I'll look for in Douglas is like flats, especially if it's calm or fairly calm. And uh, I guess it can be windy too, but if the sun is out, I look to pitch, uh, pitch jigs on flats. You know, I, I don't like brake lines in may or even mid-june when i'm pitching jigs um and then when i get into like the crawler bite like we had talked about um pulling rigs then uh, that's when i i my you know i i switch right to brake lines i i try to follow the brake lines i try to keep one of the two lines that i've got out right on the brake line and the other one on top of the flat so that's how i kind of look for and also creek chub fishing you know and when I say it looks like slow death, I mean like I'm going, you know, one and a half to one mile per hour. And then when I slow things down with, uh, for uh, crick chubs and uh, maybe pitching jigs, you know, it's 0. 0.4, 0. 0.3, you know, and then I don't worry so much about the brake line because, you know, you got your leader on your chub that can kind of swim seven, eight foot either direction of the brake line so but when i'm pulling crawlers i definitely want one of one of our side of the boat on the brake line and so that you know that's kind of my pattern you know wind number one i've fished in several tournaments where i didn't even pre-fish the spot but it was close to the spot i fished because the wind was blowing on it you know and you know sometimes that's been my best pattern in tournaments you know like one other thing that you said earlier that I uh, like, it's going to slip my mind if I don't get it out. But you were talking about, you know, kind of how when the Yellowstone starts really moving a lot of water out on the west end of Sakakawi and it sort of dirties up, you know, for this time of year. But as as the summer progresses, you know, and, and that stuff idles out and the water gets a little cleaner, that consistent bite that you were talking about in and around the Newtown area you know, mm-hmm. talk to me a little bit about that. Do you have, do you feel like, do you feel like you're just waiting for that clear water, um, to get back in on those fish that are, that are still there or that have been there? Um, or do you feel like the fish are sort of waiting for that? You know, they move back in, um, you know, talk to me a little bit about that consistent summertime pattern in and around Newtown. Yeah. I don't know what, you know what keeps them there but the last four years and it i I don't believe it's always been like that you know i'm friends with like matt libel and stuff and i don't know that it's always i mean not not to say that they can't catch fish but the last four years have been absolutely unbelievable in the river for consistency and nice fish i mean like 20 inch 22 inch fish 20 you know 19s but for some reason the last three four years they have stayed there well, all year, pretty much. And, you know, you're asking about the water clarity. Of course, 100% believe them fish are still there. 
Yeah. I mean, when you're not catching them and the water's dirty. Same with on the river, Missouri River here. They're they're absolutely there. But, you know, their sight pattern, you know, I don't think they can see as far. I think they're, you know, they're, they don't, you know, they're just not as active, plain and simple. That's just the way it is. And you can dangle it. There's been several times on the lake or river when it dirtied up, you know, that you could dangle anything in front of them and they will not bite, you know. And, you know, once that water clears up, I think everything kind of goes back to normal and they get back on their feeding patterns. So you're, you know, I think, I think they always are there. And then, you know, I always think in my head, like, cause I've been out to the Mississippi and it's always that dirty, you know, and, but I mean, when it's always that dirty, I guess they must get used to it and, and are active, you know? So that's kind of my thoughts on that. We're just kind of talking about, uh, you know, talking a little bit about Sakakawea, but there's, there's something about you that I find interesting and, and I've had, you know, there's other guys too, that I just really like this about some of you guys that have that guiding experience, but you are also super competitive tournament anglers. You know, you've been doing this a long enough time, so I'm kind of, kind of ask you to articulate this for yourself now, being a little bit self-reflective here because I want to pick and pick your brain in this. I think a lot of anglers need to hear more stories like this and, and we can take a lot away from this, but I want you to try to articulate for you, you know, what guiding, you know, what, what your guiding experience has really done for you as an angler and some of the learning lessons, uh, you know, as far as angling and what it takes to be successful as a guide um, in contrast to what it takes to be successful as a tournament angler, because those two things are very, very different from each other. And the guys that have that have done it a lot and have had some success on both sides, uh, definitely not everybody can do that. Not everybody can be a top-notch guide and then figure out how to be a good tournament angler, a really competitive tournament angler that's actually fishing to win versus some of these guys that are some of the perennially some of the toughest tournament sticks at the highest level would you know ultimately you know I don't know how to say it they'd probably be a terrible guide you know what I mean like just because of the way that you guys have to operate sometimes in that competitive field tell me that that whole story for you even if you go on here for 10 minutes and I don't say nothing like Tell me, be a little self-reflective here and talk to me about that for you and what you get out of it as an angler on both sides of that coin. Well, I think guiding, what I've learned over the years guiding is it ain't all about catching fish. It's, you know, it's, um, you know, just being a good person in the boat with, you know, and where tournament angling it's so much necessarily true it's cutthroat and trying to get the best fish and but you know guiding i've learned that you know like you it's attention to detail you know there's a reason why his wife is catching three times the fish he is and you know and and it's you know maybe just the way he's presenting his, his crawler ain't spinning you know or whatever and that's my job as a guide to make sure that you know, I'm showing him while well, your crawler, we all know that if your crawler is not spinning, you're not winning on, on like a slow death rig, you know, it just, it ain't happening. So, you know, there's, it's attention to detail. And, and like, I would say maybe your average angler that goes out four times a year, maybe doesn't know that, you know, that it has to be, 
you know, and, and there's, there's, you know, like get guiding too. Also, you, he's letting out too much line. She's not letting out enough line, you know. So you learn, you know, and you learn how to watch everybody's rods. And my, my tournament partners give me crap all the time because I'm always watching their rods and watch your own rod, watch your own rod. Well, so, so built in my brain to, to be watching everything around me. And, uh, and it's helped us over a year, you know, sometimes they'll you know, not see a bite or whatever. And, but yeah, and, and, you know, tournament angling, you know, it can be cutthroat and, and, you know, if you, especially if, if you want to do well, it, it's, it's serious and, and I take it very serious. I'm a competitive person. I have learned to step it down a notch and just go out fishing now but we'll put in long days pre-fishing you know 12 hour days every day and 10 hour days whatever and fish hard you know and uh and to where guiding it's just you know i tell you what most people you know six hours is enough for them in the boat taylor you know four yeah. to six hours you know they they're not built like you know built like me where you can stand the heat and whatever the wind or whatever it is but you know and, and then you know tournament guiding or tournament fishing too you learn to pick your partners you know you know it just doesn't work if i got a guy that's half-ass fishing you know as in a tournament you know it's just not going to work for me you know so you know you pick your poison there and then uh but i've i've learned a, you know i guess my main point is i've learned a lot from guiding especially attention to detail is I never realized, you know, in my twenties and even maybe thirties, how attention to detail is such a big deal. I mean, there's times like pulling crankbaits, you know, I'll, if I one crankbaits catching them, I will put that in a special little tackle box and run that in the tournament, you know, just cause that one must have a little bit of different wiggle or something. It could be the same brand, same color, but it's out producing, you know, the three other rods. So you, you set that aside and same with the way I hook a crawler up, you know, if, if the spins just a little different, you can almost put your, your rig crawler rig in the water and, and, you know, you can tell, well, that one's, that's a good spinner or that's got a weird wacky spin to it. That's going to do something rather than sometimes when you get like a flat crawler, it's like, yeah, maybe not going to happen, but you know, it's a tournament angling. Of course you just change that before it even got wet, you know, before you drop her down. But you know, it's a, a really attention to detail is in tournaments is, is huge, you know? Yeah. 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 I like that a lot. Like, but when it comes to breaking down water, what would you say are some of the, you know, as far as the you know tournament strategy? Because you know a lot, you know, I think this is you know in general, I think you know tournament anglers that are competitive in any way, shape, or form are all kind of operating, um, you know, similarly in you know just covering water and you know looking for you know some of the some of you know some of what somebody else might have missed you know you kind of you're, you're all just kind of looking for those soft spots in the in the pattern to where you can you know you can sort of capitalize and and uh and get them whereas you know and with guiding like you said it's all about the the angler's experience of your clients or you know the angling experience of your clients and and just being a good person in the boat like obviously you're not going to do all those same things so as far as the fishing and breaking down water like you know, when you've been guiding a whole bunch, do you just kind of 
just get jonesed up for a tournament so you can start getting after it a little bit harder or after a tournament that's been a little bit rough are you just happy to get back in the guide boat well you nailed it man you're exactly right i want to be in two places at one time all the time but yeah say i uh say i I had a bad tournament. It's it's really nice to just get people out and catch seventeen to nineteen inches, and they're happier than heck, and well, and I'm happy. But when I'm tournament fishing and or when I'm guiding and 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 uh, and there's a tournament around the corner, I want to be back in a creek way back in Garrison Bay, you know. And but I I surely ain't gonna put them through that, you know. No wind and ninety five degrees and back in a seven foot channel you know so yeah i kind of you know you nailed it taylor i want to be at two places at once and maybe that's how my brain works but yeah you know there's definitely places you don't take guide people just because they don't they don't want to get six bites a day or five you know on a good day get six bites a day back in these creek arms or creek chubbing on the main lake on a deep point or something they want to they want to get you know 15 20 bites a day give them a good shot at getting a fish you know getting a good limit of fish but yeah it's uh it's it's different and then when i'm breaking down water like on sakakawea what i've found is you know like you know for years i think we've all heard that fish you know as close as you can to a main channel and 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 i believe that that works you know, there's several places on the south shores of uh, Sakakawea that the main channel butts right up to a point or something. But I found that to be over the years very inconsistent. I actually I won't even fish like like say say I'm doing the Governor's Cup. I won't even pre-fish the south shore. I I just refuse to go over there because I've been burnt so many times. I you know, in Douglas Bay is about Douglas and Garrison Bay are as far away from the main channel as you can get. And I'll, I'll guarantee out of the 50 years of the governor's cup, you know, 40, 40 of them have come from Garrison or Douglas Bay. So, you know, take it for what it's worth, but I just don't, I don't on the East end of I just, I don't think you can, can get two days of good fishing off like uh, the main channel. Now up in Mulbridge, that's a different deal. You know, the main channel is a lot smaller um that's that's where we fish up in Mulbridge as close to the main channel as we can but I'm saying on, on Sakakawea I just have not found that it's just way too inconsistent for me and and the, you know like the Dakota Classic days too also you know when we were successful in them we uh we didn't fish near the main channel either it was always just the consistency was to be on the on the north side of the lake you know that's how I kind of broke down that break down them two areas. Van Hook, you know, when you get into that, you know, it's a different deal because there's just so many more fish up in that area. So it gives you more opportunities, but you'll never beat Shell. It's got to be the most, it's by far the most popular place on Lake Sakakawea. I think more, more trophy fish have come off a of Shell than probably. 10 times more fish, big fish have come off a shell than anywhere else on Sakakawea. You know, for you, when you travel places, you know, how often would you say you got to figure out the best, 
you know, fish catching pattern and just figure out where the big ones are on that pattern? Or do you feel like more often than not, the big fish pattern, the tournament caliber fish pattern is something different than where you could catch the most fish? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think the I, you know, in any of the tournaments I've done well and I've caught a handful of big fish, you know, if I can get six a day, that, that that's a, I'm, I'm probably going to do it in the top 10. But, you know, speaking of Devil's Lake, it, I would be, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be, I'd be lying if I didn't say I relied on friends to help me in Devil's Lake. I mean, there is a, I know some guides up there and they're willing to share some information. Of course, they're not hunting for big fish, but they'll pop a good one here and there, obviously, and kind of give me some input of what they're doing. And, and we, you know, when we go up to Devil's Lake, we expect to be casting, expect to be busy up there. There's really, we just don't drag stuff around. It's either a bobber in our hand casting. And I always thought, Taylor, when, when I always heard a bobber fishing, that'd be a nice, relaxing, kick back, throw a bobber out. Yeah. It's about the opposite, as you probably know. It's constantly you're shifting bobbers and, and hopscotching them over the next and over the next and over the next and wind and current, and then you're always moving them. So it's busy, busy, but it's so rewarding to, in your mind, place tricks on you. I'm sure you're like, oh, the gosh. Same, oh, gosh. Yeah. Hey, where's that bobber at? Oh, it's right there. Okay. And then you're looking again. Why am I only counting three? There should be four over here. You know, it's so fun. Such a, such a fun deal because you're, you're trying to keep track of all four and then, why why is there only three well i wonder why because the other one's under well which one is it you know you're scrambling for rods and but it's just a fun fun place to fish i love devil's lake i've got a lot to learn about it you know the locals this year just cleaned up on everybody and you know it was like it was just people that had joined like the couple you know the week before or somethings and or the guides you know like there's some guides out there that did really well and so i've got a ton to learn out there but i sure have fun doing it yeah it's, it's a great lake it's just a fun lake so i'm excited to get back there yeah man yeah i think that that is just it's definitely you know so even for the average angler that's never gonna fish a tournament I, there's so much to take away from uh, you know, almost almost across the board in any conversation with a tournament angler anywhere, the pattern you're looking for, the, when you're looking for tournament grade fish that'll that will put you in a position to potentially win or be in a top five of a competitive walleye tournament, will never be the pattern that anybody that vacations there is looking for. Anybody that no. just fishes casually is looking for that a fishing guide is trying to put his clients on that that it's. Tournament angling is an experience all in itself, and even if you're not going to fish, you know, it's like, what am I going to get out of that? Well, you know, the average angler just wants to get better. You want to nuance something. You want to learn how to catch bigger fish, and so even if you're not actively fishing a tournament, I love these stories so that when I go out, I'm kind of pretending like I'm fishing a tournament. I'm always just looking for those windows of opportunity. I'm always just scanning around or I'm reading a map. And I'm just trying to, even if it's a place I've been a hundred times, but every time I go, I'm just looking for that general seasonal pattern that'll get me the most bites. I haven't looked at that lake. It, it almost makes their fishing experience what was old or you've done a million times brand new because you got to realize that 
there are things going on out on these lakes that we think we know everything about that we don't. No. And that's what these tournament, you know, fields of tough sticks will do. When you go on a body of water, you'll you'll find some of those things. And I just think it's inspirational. It's motivating. When I go out, I just love, I just love all that, man. For sure. I love the pre-fish, man. I, I love the, I, my hair stands up, you know, when I catch a big one pre-fish and I think, or maybe when you put a pattern together where you've caught more than, you know, to me, one isn't a pattern. Two's like, Oh, wow. We're maybe onto something here. And then three, it's like, Oh my gosh, things could go, things could go my way. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's, to me, it's all about the hunt, you know, not to say I don't get excited when we catch a big fish in a tournament, but it's all about the hunt. And I, I really enjoy the pre-fish and the, the, the grind of it. <laughs> that's what, that's what keeps me, you know, tournament fishing is the grind of it. And, but, you know, it across, um, we were going in devil's Lake, you know, the wind came up third to 30 or something like that. 30 mile an hour. We were driving to Pelican and I looked over at my partners and I said, we actually pay to do this. You know, we're just getting <laughs> pounded. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, uh, I shouldn't say the whole day is uh, or fun, but you know, there's parts of it that obviously are. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's, it's humbling some days and some days you feel like you can, can't do anything wrong. Yeah, know? man. How often would you say, like, you know, looking back at some of your successes, like tournaments, the, the successful finishes, you know, with you and your partners, like how, like how, what percentage of the time would you say you had a good pre-fish or your pre-fish entirely reflected your finish? Well, first of all, I've never went into a, way in thinking I'm going to win the tournament. I've never like, you know, like you hear stories about, you know, people catching that last one, like, Oh, it's over. I have never like drove into a way in thinking, yeah, we got this. It's, I've just always like, I maybe have a shot here kind of deal here, you know? Um, in the, you know, like in the wins I have had, um, they a few of them were like, I can't believe we won, you know, sort of deal. I can't believe we won with that weight. You know, I didn't know that it was such a tough bite. But as far as your pre-fishing question goes, um, not, I would say about, I always think I'm going to do a little better in the tournament because, you know, you eliminate so much stuff when you're pre-fishing. You're like, I wouldn't, well, I won't waste time over here. And I won't waste time over there and I'll put extra time in where I caught these three, you know? So I always think it's going to be better. I don't know if that's the right thinking, but I always kind of like, if I catch um, 16 pounds or 20 pounds on Sakakawea, I always think, well, I could do 18 or 22 if we focus on this area, you know? And, and usually I guess I never hardly ever fish with my tournament partners pre-fishing. I always fish with say a friend or something, you know, or my kids or whatever. So no offense to my friends or kids, but my tournament partners are probably, you know, they're quite a bit better. Yeah. By design that they should be right. (laughs) Yeah. By that time. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I always think we're going to do a little bit better. Um, So I would say, you know, and then there's there's the tournaments too where I 
Oh, that South, that South Shore stuff I was talking about, me and um, a friend of mine, Chad Renner, were fishing the Governor's Cup, and we really thought we were going to win it, and that South Shore burned us, you know? So there's been times where, um, well, there's been times where I thought I was going to do really well and didn't, but, you know, usually a consistent pattern, I'm pretty, I, it's kind of like I, I'll say to myself, I'm as confident as I was any other time I've won a tournament sort of deal, you know, or, or placed in the top five, I feel like, well, we have the same kind of bike going there. And, you know, when you had spoken earlier about um, Sakakawea weights and 20 pounds being a good day, I mean, there there is, I bet for the last 20 years, if you brought 20 pounds in for the Classic or Governor's Cup, or even Van Hook tournaments, maybe 23 pounds, you were going to be a top five guy. I mean, you, that's what you went for is five, four pounders, four pound average. That's always been, and for some, for, for 2023, man, it, this has been, it's been the best year I've ever seen on Skakawea. And it's not by a little bit, it's by a long shot, you know. There's 100 fish days, a lot of people getting 100 fish days. There's been days where I'm guiding out there and my hands are so sore after a two or three day trip from taking off fish that, you know, I could barely go to work, you know? Yeah. So it's been, it's just been a great year. Yeah, so. man. Like, what would you say is, you know, just an interesting story or a fun tournament story where you had a, your, like a, a good finish, a surprisingly good finish after a surprisingly bad pre-fish? One of the years, we went, um, we were doing the Dakota Walleye Classic, and I do that with Jordan Binstock, the same guy that him and his team won the Big Muddy this year with that crazy weight, 55 pounds. So I used to fish with him in the Dakota Classic, and he was like 12 or 13 years old at the time. And uh, we had a pretty good pre-fish going. Um, it was our second year. We won it the year before, so we were trying, you know, go back to back, which is pretty hard to do in a 185 team thing. But um, we pull it. Oh, we got a crazy storm! Like we could barely get to the rules meeting. It was like three inches of rain and just high winds in the whole lake. I mean, the whole lake was muddy. We drove all the way, like, 26 miles to the beacon and uh, nothing. And then we drove to another point, and there was a little fine line of clean water. I think we caught a sauger, which I flipped in, and it was kind of it was kind of hanging in the um, hanging on the back of the boat there. And Jordan's like, should we keep this? And I'm like, I don't know, maybe. It was like a 17-inch sauger. And if we wouldn't have caught that, we went to one. We went to went back to back. But we were fishing like anywhere. I mean, we were hitting spots for 15 minutes, jumping points all the way back. And Jordy, who was like 12 or 13 years old, goes, we should go over to the pump house, the west pump house. I bet the wind blew the mud out of there because we had a north wind. And I'm like, yeah, why aren't we at the pump house? So we fly over to the pump house with like 40 minutes left. And uh, there was like eight boats in there and the water was fairly clean. And I'm like, holy cow. And that's kind of like the time I think I had mentioned in the last podcast how slow death kind of first came out. I mean, there were some people doing it, but not a whole heck of a lot. And we ripped through there and I caught like a 28 
and Jordan caught like a 24-incher, and we finished out our limit. But if we hadn't got that sauger that I flipped in and was bouncing around in the back about ready to jump in the water, if Jordan wanted to grab that, we wouldn't have won the Classic back-to-back. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. it's like, wow. Yeah, for a 13-year-old kid, now you can maybe understand why he uh, swung the big muddy twice, you know? those. I just think those are just awesome stories that, you know, I mean, if, if we weren't sharing a fish camp, you know, I, I mean, you know, the, the outside world would never hear those stories, you know, I mean, or you had to be there that day kind of thing, but I just love hearing it. And I think that, I think that it's just cool to listen to, I don't know, like, again, it goes back to whether you fish tournaments or not. And you just, when you go out on your own home body of water and you just, you know, you, you know what it feels like to just kind of have your game face on trying to put you know, trying to put something together and you're just throwing the kitchen sink at these fish uh, on any body of water, any day of the year. And you can just, you know, you can just put it to yourself. You can just kind of, you know, just mentally, you just strategize like you're doing that. You just strategize like you're in a tournament and you got your backs against the wall. You got 40 minutes left. What decision do you make right then? It's all about those decisions you make. And, you know, if you don't take the fishing seriously, and I've said this a bunch of times, you know, I think it's perfectly okay to take fishing too seriously. I do it all the time. Just don't take yourself too seriously. You know, that way you don't go home and, you know, slit your wrists or whatever after a tough day. I mean, we all got to be able to take that. But, but I love the decision making behind it. I love that, you know, that, that technical thinking and, you know, just, oh, it dawned on you. You had a million other things to think about. You had, you had all kinds of things to think about. And especially with the, you know, the storms and how things were going, you know, safety yeah. was a thing. And, you know, you're fishing with a young person. Like you got so much going on that it it just for the for the majority of that day, but thankfully just in time, the right thought crossed your mind that, you know, I wonder if that north wind didn't blow the mud out of that spot. And then you, and then you just, and you get over there and it's just like, you know, your whole day is made. And how often does that happen? Right? Like even just on an average day of fishing, how, you know, it's usually an hour span that makes the day a lot of times anyways. Right. You know, it's, you know, when we talk about fishing and, you know, the average angler needs to realize that even, even the toughest guy, I mean, everybody, you know, everybody's out there doing the same thing. We're all just making decisions. And a lot of times, you know, that it's that fine line between, oh, you know, you got a little bit hungry and you decided to go in and have a sandwich. Well, these other guys, they didn't go get a sandwich. They thought a little bit more nope. about it and they found them. Yeah, you know, right. they made one more decision, one more calculation and they found them. Yeah. Like I said, there was like three inches of rain and, you know, a lot of boats just anchored up on shore and we stayed out and fished and it, it helped. Yeah. You know. One more quick story, Taylor. I got to tell you this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My buddy, uh, the dude, Leon, the Leon Lyre, the guy I fish the casino cups with. Yeah. Him, he, his brother caught the state record in Leon's boat. Leon's the fisherman and his brother's, you know, just your average fisherman. But anyway, they were backing down the boat at Fox Island boat ramp, waiting to pick up their third guy. And Leon said, Hey, Neil cast over there. There's a, there's a big mark on the side scan. Well, of course, that was the state record. Not not this one, but the one before that. It was like 16 or 16 pound or whatever. So the guy's walking and Neil catches it on an old uh, dried up gulp that Leon had on uh, on a rod there. And uh, so the guy's walking down, you know, the third guy to jump in the boat. And Leon's like, grab the trailer. We're loading up. It's time to go. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> the guy's like, what? What? 
so yeah, they caught the state record right there. They were pre-fishing for the reel and wreck, which is, it's out of the boundaries. So he calls us, he's like, yeah, we got the state record, but it's out of the boundaries. Like, oh, great. <laughs> super. And, uh, so they caught it right at Fox Island boat ramp. There's a little uh, rock jetty that comes down to protect the water, you know, break the current. Yeah. For the boat so, landing. Yeah. yeah. All the boats that, you know, we all do. I, I, I do it all the time. I'll put in and fly, you know, about as far away as I can get. So, yeah. So yeah, that was you another. just never know when they're right there. You no, know, yeah, that was pretty cool. That is awesome. Yeah, man. Well, shoot, dude. I appreciate the time so much, Jeff. Yeah. And this is like exactly what I was looking for. I just love just having a, just a fun, informational, juicy conversation about Sakakawea from somebody like yourself. And then, yeah. but for you to having you on personally, I wasn't going to let you go without some of those tournament stories, because I think that, I think that it's, it's, you know, and, and even if you are thinking about anybody that's out there listening to this and is thinking about fishing a derby or some sort of a competition i i totally promote that i think that you know if there's you take a look if there's something close by you even if you don't know everything about it just read the rules whatever is posted like figure it out get in a boat get in one of those competitions it is so much fun and you learn so much but if if you really get into it you know for the young people that are out there really kind of coming up in in something and they're and they're getting inspired by this and getting motivated. Like, absolutely, the guys that are the most competitive put a lot into it, and it is a it is a different way of thinking. And so, I, I appreciate those stories so much, and I appreciate uh, you having the time to talk about that stuff because, yeah, I get so much from it. I love it. I love it a lot. So, anyways, if any anything else that comes in your mind that we should throw out there along the lines of what we've been talking about, or. Uh, you know, or anything like that, or if not, um, if anybody ever has any questions or wants to inquire about maybe your guide service or a day of fishing, yeah. uh, let them know where they can find you. Yeah. Okay. First of all, I'd like to thank River City Sports. They've I've never drove a boat that I haven't bought at River City. I've been with them for 25 years, and they've backed me the whole way. And um, it's just a it's a great place, and they've been so good to me, keep me on the water. So thank you, River City Sports. And if you have any questions, if you just want to talk fishing, give me a call, Jeff Enswinger at 400-5161. There it is, man. There it is, man. Jeff, I appreciate the time, man. I'm glad we did this. Once again, this podcast is brought to you by the North Dakota Game and Fish. In the 2023 fishing season, the state of North Dakota is putting on the 2023 Sport Fish Challenge, a challenge to catch a multi-species bluegill, walleye, bass, and trout. Take a picture of each of those species and enter to the Game and Fish website, gf.nd.gov backslash fish hyphen challenge. That link is in the description if you didn't catch all that. Anglers that complete the challenge are going to win a decal and a bunch of bragging rights. The decal they can display anywhere that they want to proudly. Obviously, it would look fantastic on tackle boxes, coolers, water bottles, lunchbox, and bait bucket. Anything that uh, people are going to see so that they can brag about it. Again, the link is in the description of this podcast. Lake Oahe continues to be one of the best walleye fishing destinations across the country especially here in the Midwest. When we look back on on a season, especially in recent years, as to where the biggest walleyes are being produced, Lake Oahe continues to be on that list and will be for years to come. If you're planning a fishing trip to Lake Oahe or you're just planning a family vacation that's going to be in the vicinity of Lake Oahe and you think maybe you got time for a day of fishing, 
If you've got any questions about lodging or fishing information or a guide service, look at the MoRest Motel or the MoPro Guide Service owned by Brent and Kelly Chemnitz in MoBridge, South Dakota. For more information, get in touch with Brent and Kelly at 605-845-3668 or look up what they offer online. That's awahiwaleyes.com. Link is in the description of this podcast.